Uh, thank you so much, Daniel, Amy, Olivia. Thank you. And been blessed as they've led us in worship today, right? Thank you so much. God bless you. And now, friends, we sung about the, the hymn of heaven. The hymn of heaven is the promise for this earth. And I want you to turn to the passage about the promise, the first promise in the Bible. The first promise in the Bible, strangely, is found in the book of Genesis. Would you imagine that? So turn to Genesis chapter 3, if you would. Genesis chapter 3. And as has been said by our team, they led us this morning, we are entering into the Advent season. The Advent season is a season of promise. It is a season of experiencing what we already have, but also the promise of what is not yet. And that's where we live as Christians. We live in the already, not yet. In this Advent season, we want to focus on the promise. What God's laid on my heart for this Advent season is for us to look at some passages that tell us about the promise, the promise that God has made that is fulfilled in His Son. And this morning we're going to talk about and see the gospel of the Son in this first promise that's found in the Word of God. And so I've asked you to turn to Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. And if you are able and you would like, please stand with me. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read as we hear the first promise. The promise. Yes, the first promise of Advent. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated, please. The Bible. Do you ever think about it? The Bible. Over 40 human authors. One divine author. Written over a period of 1,500 years. 66 books. 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, 757,439 words. Quite a book. What's the Bible all about? I mean, a book like that. What's the Bible all about? My friend of 757,439 words, the Bible is about one word. Redemption. Redemption. That's what this book is. It is a testament of redemption. Now, that word redemption has the idea of restoration, doesn't it? It it has the idea of a restoration, but a restoration that is only accomplished by a price being paid. That's the meaning of the word redemption. Restoration to freedom by a price being paid And friends, the Bible is that story. The Bible begins in paradise. The Bible begins in paradise. And then as we've read already in these few verses, soon paradise was ruined and lost. That's how the Bible begins. Paradise. God and his children 
perfect relationship, perfect environment, perfect oneness, enjoying each other fully, knowing and being known. That's paradise. That's where the Bible begins. But it was ruined and lost. But where does the Bible end? Paradise. Paradise restored and regained. And God the Father and His children in perfect harmony with each other, with Him, with their creation to enjoy His presence, to know Him and be known for all eternity. <laughs> Paradise restored and regained. That's how the Bible begins. Paradise ruined and lost it ends, paradise restored and regained, and between the two is the message of the price paid for that restoration and the one who paid it. That's what the Bible is all about. It is a promise, a promise announced by God that paradise would be restored. A promise that paradise would be restored. And listen this morning, my friends here and you that are watching. It is also a promise of invitation. And all who will can return to the Father and return and experience paradise forever. Now let's begin as we're going to have this series about the promise, let's consider paradise lost. And I want you to see quickly the path to ruin. What led to the ruin of paradise? Notice these things. First of all, there was the deception about the righteousness of God. The deception about the righteousness of God. We're told in this passage that the master deceiver who had been known as Lucifer, the shining one, the leader of the angelic host who had rebelled against God, now he's no longer the shining one. He is Satan, which means slanderer, liar, slanderer. And notice the first words we hear from the old serpent in the Bible is slander. Slander. He doesn't come because of his great craftiness. Satan does not come and make a direct frontal assault on God the Father. No, he's too wise for that. He tried that. It didn't work out well for him. So rather than the direct attack on God, he comes with an attack on the ones who bear his image, Adam and Eve. 
And he comes with a question. He comes with an insinuation. Notice this. He comes questioning what? Two things. First of all, he questions God's truthfulness. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now this is Satan the slanderer using the serpent. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see what he does? He puts a question mark where God put a period. He's questioning what? What's the first thing he questions? God's word. What's the first question? The first question is questioning whether absolute truth exists. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? You mean God actually said? Questioning God's message. Yes, God said but he questions the message. But notice the second thing that Satan questions is not just God's message, he questions God's motive. God's motive. Notice what he says. He questions God's trustworthiness. Meaning, can you really trust this father? Can you really trust him? Verse 4, listen to the serpent. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. Do you see the progression here, church? You see the progression? It begins with God's not honest. You really can't trust his message. And then it's a little deeper. Actually, are you sure God is good? Are you absolutely sure God is good? Can you really trust his motive? It, it seems to me he's, he's saying, you know, God's greedy about his godhood. He wants to be the only God around. He wants to be the only God of the garden. And he's greedy of that, and he knows that you could know what he knows, and then you would be like him. God's holding out on you. There's more to life than you're experiencing, and God's standing in your way. It's God standing between you and real fulfillment. Well, what happened? Eve listened. She listened. There's the moral. Never listen to a snake. Mark that down. Never listen to a snake. Eve listened to the insinuations and the slander about God. And then she moved slightly from listening to looking. She looked. And that's the next step on the path to ruin. The next step is disloyalty to the rule of God. Now, how does it begin? Her focus changes. 
there's a change of focus. We see it in verse 6. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw, she's been listening to the enemy, listening to the devil. Now she's put her eyes where his words have taken her. And the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirous to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave to some to her husband who was with her. And the word actually means here, right next to her. Adam's not way off yonder. He's right here. Coward. That's not in the text, but okay. okay. And he ate as well. Now notice, do you see the change of focus? The, The focus goes... From this point, her focus has always been on her creator. And now her focus is on the creation, more than on the creator. Uh, Eve's focus changed from all the liberty that she had to the one limitation that she had. She had complete liberty. Adam had complete liberty. Only one limitation. Do not eat of this fruit. But the focus by the enemy's temptation was to look away from all the liberty she had, all the liberty he had, and look at the one thing that God said was off limits. She became focused on what was forbidden. Her focus changed from her father and his wonderful love that she had basked in. And her focus was on the forbidden. She focused on what could be hers, but it could not be hers in the will of God. It could be hers, but it couldn't be hers in the will of God. And so what did it really come down to? Listen carefully. It came down to an issue of love. Whose love will be greater? Either love for my father and his will or love for myself and my will. It came down to the question of a greater love. My father's love, his will, or my love for myself and my will. So what happens? Self-focus and self-focused desires became the DNA of sin. Sin is always rooted in selfishness. And self-focus and self-focused desires became the DNA of Sin. What did she notice? She noticed this fruit is good for food. The desire of her flesh. Nothing wrong, but out of the will of God will be wrong. It's pleasant to the eyes. Of course, God made it. But it's not yours. It's desire to make one wise. 
It, it's, it touches on pride. What, what I could be more than I am if I had that. What does John tell us thousands of years later? Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, what? The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Here it is. The desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, that is pride of life, became the focus, and that misplaced focus, rather than focusing on God the Father and His love, focusing on herself and her self-love, it undermined love and loyalty to the Father. It was undermined. And then she took the next dreadful step. Now, this doesn't take long. This is just a few moments, right? But it is a journey away from God. And my friend, no matter how quickly it happens, a journey away from God is a journey into a far country. The path to ruin. There's the deceptiveness, deception about the righteousness of God. It leads to disloyalty to the rule of God. And then what happened? There was a destruction in the relationship with God. A destruction in the relationship with God. What happened? What brought the devastation? What brought it? Listen carefully again. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's it? Bite of an apple? All creation ruined because of a bite out of a piece of fruit? No. No. It's not a bite that brings the destruction. It's the betrayal that brings the destruction. It's the betrayal of God. The betrayal of His holiness. The betrayal of His loving kindness. The betrayal of everything that He is. He is God. They are His image bearers. And by disobeying him, they are betraying him and they're betraying themselves. It is high treason. That's what happened in the garden. What is the essence of sin? Sin, in its essence, is rebellion and treason against God. And until you see your sin or I see my sin that way, you can never deal with it. As long as it's just a habit, it's just a weakness, it's just a bend that I have, it's just something that I, I, I struggle with a little bit. No, you'll never, never deal with sin like that until you see it for what it is, treason against God, rebellion against the Father. That's what it was. It was an assault 
on their father. And the result was this. His children, his creation, his image bearers did not understand something by assaulting him and his holy character they were assaulting and betraying themselves. They were betraying themselves. And what was the result of that assault and betrayal? What were the results of Adam and Eve's treason and rebellion? It was ruin. The ruin of relationships. Think what was ruined. That treason and that rebellion ruined the relationship they had with their Heavenly Father. It ruined their relationship with each other. They could never regain what they once had had in their innocence before the Father and toward each other. It, it ruined creation of which they were the shepherds and the stewards. Everything down from them in the creation pyramid is now ruined and tainted. A process starts, and my friend, mark it down. It's not a process of evolution. It's a process of devolution. Not up, 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 higher and higher and higher, but down, down, down. Read the Bible. The course of human history is not up, up, up. It's down, down, farther away from God. Awful, downward, destructive cycle. What kind of cycle is it? Well, look at the characteristics. This is what sin does. Number one, there was aversion, aversion. Aversion to God. Verse 9, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, what? Hid themselves. Who are they hiding from? The Father. What had they always done before? Run to the Father. Run to His voice. Now they're hiding. Hiding from the presence of the Lord among the trees. And notice what? Is God, does God not know what's happened? Of course he knows. But he still comes and he calls out to the man. Where are you? Where are you? Man here. Meaning the idea of not just Adam, Adam and Eve, mankind. Where are you? Who's the seeker here? You see a sinner seeking God? No, where do you find a sinner? Hiding behind the bushes beneath Leaves and loincloth. The seeker's God. And he is to this very day, my friend. If someone's seeking God, it's because God's seeking them. Because our nature is not to seek God, it's to run from God. Run from his love. There's a version hiding from the Father. Then notice what happens when the Father talks to them. Here's the next expression of what sin does. Diversion. Diversion. God asked them, what's happened? And Adam said, verse 11, 
God asked him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And listen to this brave man. The woman who you gave to me. Oh, great. The woman you gave her to me. The Lord says to the woman, What is this that you have done? What's her answer? The serpent. The, the snake and the eye inference here. Who made the snake? God will come back and deal with this, but he talks to the snake. Snake can't blame anyone. <laughs> Who's he going to blame? Now, until this very day, this broken record of blame shifting continues. It's the very expression of sin. My husband, weren't for him, my wife, no wonder I'm having such a hard... My parents. My boss. Expect to live for, live for God and work for someone like that? The government. Who can be the kind of Christian they're supposed to be in a government like this? My church... If I could just find a really good church, not that one filled with hypocrites and sinners. And who's that really directed at? When we say, my husband, my wife, my parents, my boss, the government, my church, who is, are we really blaming? God. This is what Sinners do. We refuse to look into the mirror of our own brokenness. Aversion, diversion, and then it, the next step is subversion. What? A curse. God pronounced the curse, but where did the curse come from? It came as a result of sin. God didn't sin. Adam and Eve sin. God's just making a statement of the consequences of what they've done. Cursed. Cursed is the earth because of you. You are the stewards. It's been cursed because of you. Cursed are your very bodies. Pain will come to you. Death will come to you. Curse. No more freedom but toil and the sweat of your brow. A curse on all relationships. God speaks about what this is going to mean to their relationship. Look at verse 16. We didn't read this. But God said in verse 16 of chapter 3. And to the woman he said, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. He will rule over you. Notice, desire here means selfish control. You will selfishly try to control your husband and he will respond by ruling, dominating you. 
And the Lord is not just talking about husband and wife, Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve. He's talking about all human relationships. As a result of sin, we will try to selfishly control people and we will try to dominate others. That's what it's done. Sin does to relationships. It reaches far beyond marriage. It reaches out into our life. What is it? It's assuming that we're in the place of God. That we have the right to control others. Or have dominion. That we have the right to make things go our way. That's assuming the place of God. What an awful downward spiral. Aversion, diversion, subversion, and then perversion. What's that? Life away from Eden. Life away from the Father. God drove them away. Lest they would take of that tree of life. And live forever in this horrible, awful condition. He drove them away from paradise. Put a seraphim flaming. To guard the way back. Lest they would... Eternally be in that condition. Life had been perverted away from the Father, away from love, away from contentment, away from loving each other, and a life of self focus and self absorption that would lead to self destruction. Friends, when we pursue life away from God, we're really pursuing death. When when we run from God, we're running into death. Now, let me pause. Feeling encouraged yet? (laughs) Christmas spirit on you? Not unless Ebenezer Scrooge is your pastor, okay? That's the bad news. But it's the truth. Before God Almighty... I have told you the truth this morning. Have I? This is the truth. It's bad news. But it's the truth. But. Now the good news. Crossing this path. Downward. Downward. Spiral. Of humanity away from God. Not able to come back to be with the Father. Back to Eden. Across this path comes divine intervention. The promise. There's a promise. That it won't always be like this. There's a promise. It's the first promise in the Bible. Did you see it this morning? The first promise in the Bible. The first reference to the gospel. It's what the theologians call the proto-evangelium. The the first gospel. Where is it? Look at verses 14 and 15. There is coming a deliverer who will bring restoration with God. Look at verse 14. He says to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed. 
You're cursed above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. But now he speaks not just to the serpent, but to the one using the serpent, inhabiting the serpent. I will put enmity. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. What's he talking about? There's going to be warfare, spiritual warfare. Between the people that will know God and the enemy. There's going to be this warfare. But notice, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's someone coming of the woman. Do you see this? There's a prediction here of terrible spiritual warfare. There's a pronouncement of judgment on the serpent. But there's a promise. There's a promise here to lost and ruined mankind. A man is coming. A man is coming. A man of a miraculous birth. It's hinted at here. Not the seed of the man, but of the seed of the woman. Who... Who's coming? What's going to happen to him? He's going to be wounded. His heel will be bruised. And how will he be wounded in his heel? Because he will crush the serpent. There is a wounded warrior who's coming. A wounded warrior who will conquer and overcome the terrible domain of Satan and overcome sin and bring back paradise. He's coming. He's coming from the descendant of the woman. And he will be righteous. And he will crush Satan at great cost of pain to himself. Where's this going to happen? On a tree. It's going to happen on the tree of good and evil. That's what the tree of Calvary is. It's the tree of good and evil. It's the tree of evil because on that tree, that man sent from God will become a curse. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us. There's that word. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. On that tree, the sinless image bearer of God, his son, Jesus Christ, became a curse. On that tree, that evil tree, But that tree of Calvary was not just a tree of evil, it's a tree of good. Because on that tree would not just be the curse, on that tree would be the cure. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to become sin, that he... Who knew so sin would do this so that we sinners in him, Jesus, might become what? 
the righteousness of God. That is what happened on the tree. And for Jesus to become a curse and take our sin and to conquer Satan and bring restoration, his heel had to be bruised when he was nailed by spikes to that tree. But friend, his final statement was, it is what? Finished. It's a victory cry, not cry of defeat. And when he cried, it is finished, what happened? In that temple where that tapestry kept people away from God and his presence, what was on that tapestry? Flaming seraphim. Just like God put in Eden. That was torn from top to bottom. What was God saying? Now you can come back. Now you can come back to me. Children of Adam. Sinners. Rebels. Come back. The curse has fallen on my son. He's paid the debt. My righteousness is yours. Come to me. Come back to paradise. What a God. What a Savior. Who can understand this? Thank God we don't have to understand this. We believe it. We trust it with all of our souls. What a grace. What victory. Welcome back to the Father. And friend, hear me. I plead with you today in Jesus' name. That's the only way back. This church is not the way back to the Father. I'm not the way back to the Father. Your works, should you live to be 120, they're not the way back to the Father. The way back has been opened by Jesus' Son. And all who come to the Father by Him will never be turned away. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? What could the thief on the cross do for his sins? What could he do? Nothing. But just say, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? I say to you, today you will be with me. Where? In paradise. Where's paradise? Paradise is where Jesus is. That's what makes paradise paradise. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the mansions. It's not, praise God, though you love them, grandma and grandpa are there. What makes paradise paradise is the Lamb of God who died in your place and rose again. He's there. That's what makes it paradise. Paradise was lost. It's lost. But paradise, paradise has been regained. Where are we headed? Where are you headed? If you know Jesus, you trust him, weak sinner that you are, I know I am. Through Christ, here's when I, where I'm headed. I pray you're headed there. 
Genesis, excuse me, Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying nor pain. Anymore. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And then the angel showed me a river. Of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life, twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree. For the healing of the nation. No longer will there be anything accursed. Or literally, there will be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. And the night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and forever. That, my friend, is quite a promise. Bought and paid for. By the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now you know why the angels sang. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's bow our heads. and Lord, I pray now that your word will grip our hearts. Lord, it's, it's just too good to even imagine. But we know it's true. If we weren't reading it in the Bible, it'd be a fairy tale. But Lord, by your spirit, you make it true. And oh Lord God, I pray now for a gospel to go to people who are measuring themselves by their sin. They're measuring themselves by their failures. They're measuring themselves by how far short they've come. Lord, help them to see 
Jesus paid it all. Help them to stop tinkering with their souls and to take hold of Jesus and know that now in him there is no condemnation. The way is open. All we have to do in repentance is come back to the Father through Jesus. Lord, free people in the bondage of fear today. Bring them into the glorious light of acceptance of free grace in Christ. And Lord, in our hearts, I pray that heaven and nature will sing. In Jesus' name, amen.